Hey everybody in Serial Killer Country, my name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And welcome to When Killers Get Caught, and we are reaching a milestone today of 25 episodes. We are quarter way to 100. Which is pretty cool. It is. But if this is your first time, uh, When Killers Get Caught is a podcast devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the serial killers that a lot of us love to learn about. Uh, Each week, Brian and I find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss one well-known or lesser-known killer, go into their childhoods, lives, methodology, and of course, how they got caught. And then we like to mix it up a little bit and allow Brian to lead us into the spooky world of cryptids and the supernatural. This is my specialty. But before we jump into serial killers, we always talk about this week in true crime, which is just something that we found particularly interesting or that happened this year yeah, or week more so. So for me, uh, this week I was surprised or it wasn't this week, but it was a couple weeks ago. I was surprised to find out that uh, Anissa Weir of the half of the Slenderman killing duo has been released or or the judge has given the order for her to be released. Right, right, right. Yeah. So for folks who don't know, uh, when Anissa Weir and her helper, I think her name was Morgan Geyser. Yeah, Morgan Geyser were 12 years old. They invited their friend over for like a sleepover. They had a really good time. And then they, the next morning they took her out into the woods and they tried to stab her to death. I believe she was stabbed over 19 times. And uh, their victim bless her heart, has the soul of a champion. And uh, she dragged herself out of the woods, over to the street, flagged down a car. Um, she survived. And right now, from what I understand of their victim, she, uh, last I heard that she was going to college to be a doctor. Yeah, something like that. She felt, or at least work in the medical field somewhere because she felt like the people who helped her and saved her after that attack, like it changed her life. But uh, Anissa and Morgan, well, okay, so of the two of them, Morgan held out longer and didn't talk. Right. So Anissa was the first to crack and admit and confess. So she was given a lighter sentence of 25 years in a psychological facility. Yeah, I think that Morgan was, she was like the ringleader of all this. Yeah, they said Morgan was kind of in charge. Morgan was given 40 years. Yeah. And so Anissa's now 19 uh, and that sentencing happened in 2017. And so she spent the last almost four years mm. in this facility receiving pretty intense psychological care. And she petitioned the court earlier this year saying that she's better now. Nothing like this is ever going to happen again. Um, and the court has sided with her. Uh, they're saying that right now what they're waiting on is to determine the the official rules of the conditional release hmm. uh because she'll still be on conditional release for the last like 17 years of her sentence right right okay but uh as and but i'm also hearing now that uh geyser is also going to try and petition in the next year or two yeah i mean if you let one out you gotta let the other one see, out. see that's setting the precedent and then like then you got to try to you you have to keep those two away from each other because agreed yeah absolutely the two that's what caused the problem in the beginning yeah um there's a great documentary about this i think hbo did it it's one of the few like documentaries on serial killers or big crimes that i really enjoyed mm. um it was very sad but ultimately i felt for everybody involved 
Like these two little girls, we talk about this all the time with that like weird like thing where the the killers fixate on this like fantasy world. Right, yeah. And so they were both struggling. They both turned to each other and to this weird world where this where Slenderman could like save them if they could only like sacrifice become part of his his become proxies for him yes it was very bizarre something someone only someone deeply unwell could believe in but yeah um also their victim's name was peyton uh letner and like i said she seems like she's doing really good i saw an interview from her a couple years ago okay so she's probably at this point if she's really going the doctor route she's probably in med school by now God, so many years ago, happened so long. Or at least, like, yeah, probably starting med school because yeah, the crime happened in 2017. Yeah, and the last time I saw an article from her or an interview from her was like 2020 ish. Yeah, I was to say like last year, like graduating from high school at that time. Goodness, might have been graduating from high school in 2019. So maybe she's not in med school yet. She's like halfway through her college career. But whatever, Taylor, if this ever comes your way, like, like I said, you have the heart of a champion. Oh, if absolutely. somebody stabbed yes. the crap out of me, I think I would just lay there and die. <laughs> I don't think I have the will inside of myself. You better crawl. To fight. You better <laughs> so crawl. I'm going to try and fight before the stabbing happens. But she, listen, I'm not really a fan of pain. Well, once they um, go, you're ugh. good to go. Once, you're right. Maybe. I don't know. You're once they me leave, credit, they, they think you're dead. Then, you know, just do the army crawl out of the woods. You're giving me a lot of credit, sir. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but regardless, that was my story for the week. I was really surprised to see that they're even. I thought maybe after ten years, but only like three and a half. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty Seems fast. Pretty short for me. So we'll see what happens. Right now, they're in the process of figuring out how they will release her and what she'll have to live with and mm. her, the guidelines. They have sixty days from looks like July first to come up with a plan and re- give it to the court. Oh, so by September. But by September, she should be officially released. We'll see. They said that she'll be back in... Her hearing is September 10th. Oh, see, there you go. Okay. But yeah, so what is your true crime story this week? Okay, look. I've been finding these non-true crime stories the most interesting this week. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like a couple weeks ago when you were talking about eating bugs. Okay. Listen to this. This one... Oh, this is one... This one's like right up my alley, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Listen to this headline. Thousands of pigeons vanished... Mid race in Bermuda Triangle style mystery. This is right up your angle. You love the Bermuda <laughs> Triangle, and I think it's ridiculous. No, have you? I don't know if you heard. This. Okay, the story is from the end of June, so uh, June 29th. Okay. Uh, so not only a couple weeks ago. Yeah, not too long ago. Um, so a freak weather is being blamed for hundreds of thousands of racing pigeons suddenly vanishing into thin air on the same day. So this happened in um, the UK. So there were 50 races going on this day, right? And up to 250,000 pigeons or birds were released that day. I think they are all pigeons. They're racing birds. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know we still did that. I guess it's just for funsies now. Yeah, I think it's just a UK thing now. But I didn't think, yeah, I didn't know it was a thing. I mean, we used to that was the way to get things across like the city or the carrier pigeons yeah. yeah but yeah apparently um one of the races it says that there were 1400 pigeons that were released and only about 200 to 300 came back came back oh poor little pigeons so 
what they say, like some type of freak accident. Some uh, I think one of these pictures it says that there was like a sunstorm that was blamed for this. Ooh. And I was like, I mean, those solar storms are awful, but don't they normally happen on other planets? <laughs> like a solar flare just yeah major... i didn't think we had like solar flares in, in america and like not america in earth i mean i don't no, know i didn't know okay something just happened on the planet and it just made these pigeons just disappear all right um but yeah you, like you think about it, like these birds they are they train these birds from when they're chicks. Yeah. And they they know where they live. So for but them I mean, not to... like, I don't know. Like, can they be blown off course? Is that a thing that happens? I mean, but they can still find their way home. Not if they get murdered Some, by the ocean. I think uh, one of the quotes is from, uh, what is this guy's name? Dean. Uh, D-E-N-E. Mm-hmm. So... He's 38. Sounds like a creative way to spell Dean. I like I know. That. I know, right? says, um, he thinks something invisible to the naked eye occurred. Something that messed with the bird's internal satin nav and caused him to veer off curse drastically. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> so his thought process is they just got like booped off, you know. Yeah, something. And they're just out living their like best bird lives just somewhere else. They're yeah. like, listen, we came home. We're in Nicaragua. Like you, <laughs> there could have been like a UFO with this cloaking device on. Oh no! And the birds like kind of ran into it, and then they just got scared, spooked off and just flew wherever. Or it could have been like I don't know, some something ultrasonic in the atmosphere that could have. That makes more <laughs> sense to me. That could have just. You know, mess with their their navigation and no, just. No, that makes sense to me. That there, if anything, like I mean, there's so much stuff that's going out into the atmosphere. Yeah. How do I don't mean, I don't know how that affects animals. But yeah, hopefully, um, these birds find their way home, eventually. They're living on another island now. Okay, but they're they're friends. Th- their human friends are waiting for them to return home. They're like, listen, these people here feed me, so I'm going to stay here. <laughs> Just like when, you know, you feed like a dog. Suddenly that dog's like, oh, who's this new person? This is I my like? friend. This is my, my new friend. I don't need you, former human. I love you so much, new person. Oh, my God. Wait, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something weird. and <laughs> it's It's less true crime and more... I gave something from within my wheelhouse, and you found something that interested you from your wheelhouse. I'm like, we have to name the segment something else, then, Brian. I know it's I'm not tr- this week in true crime. It's look, I'm trying this my best to stuff find Brian liked. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to find the true crime stuff, but it's like these are the ones that like pop up, and I'm like, it Ooh. hits randomly. Yeah, like some I see countless things all the time that don't seem interesting to me, or they. Are interesting, but they're heartbreakingly depressing. Yes. My TikTok hit 500,000 people today. Oh. And so I said to people, I would respond to comments. And one of the comments, one of the questions was, how do you deal with how awful all this stuff is? And I'm, but what I've done has, one, I am sectioning my brain and head in these situations very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I've, I've noticed that the more that I delve into true crime as work, 
the less I want to watch it it for fun. So people are always like, oh, have you seen this documentary? And I'm like, fam, when I'm in free time, I am watching anime. I am watching the Fear Street movie on Netflix. I am not not at all watching stuff for work. It's too much. It's too much to like delve yourself into constantly. And I already have to do it multiple times a day, every day. This is true. So, like, when I see some of those stories that are just really terrible, I'm like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm passing over that one. I'm good. Goodness gracious, I feel you on that. It's bad enough that, like, half the people who commit horrible crimes that I have to talk about are people who harm children, and that's just my one friggin' hate. Same. Like, yeah, I saw, like, when I was looking for this one story, I just saw, like, three different stories about children. I was like, oh, The amount of people, like, the amount of children who are constantly harmed in this country is so upsetting. It's terrible. But regardless, uh, this week I picked a doozy. I picked such a doozy in terms of who I was going to talk about that, you know, it hurts itself in confusion. I gave myself too much homework. <laughs> it was awful. Um, but I hope you'll like it. But I'm I'm just going to start with what I wrote down. Are you ready, everybody? Let's get it. So if I had to ask you the name of the world's worst serial killer, what would you say? World's worst serial killer. To me? Mm-hmm. Okay, now, when you say worst, do you mean, like, who I think did a bad job of being a serial killer? Or no, I mean, like, <laughs> the ones who did the most murders. Uh, like, you know, we have, like, in the U.S. now, we say, like, the most prolific serial killer is Sam Little because he murdered somewhere near 90 people. You know, everyone's got, like, Dahmer, Manson, I'd say, like, Casey, Jack Ridgeway. the Ripper. Okay, Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper killed, like, three people. Okay, but you, you never call him, though. Okay. Okay. Do you know that there is a Guinness world record that lists someone as the serial killers with the most kills and as the worst no i didn't know that no no that's not the name (laughs) is the hungarian countess that we refer to as elizabeth bathory that name does sound familiar to me so most people wouldn't think of her Uh, even when i covered her on a tiktok in the beginning i got a pile of conflicting messages about her some people doubt she was ever real there's lore there's legend Um, And just researching her story, I came across 200 different fictional novels about her. And do you remember this movie? It was called Stay Alive. And Frankie Munia was was in it. And the big, like, thing from the trailer was, if you die in the game, you die in real life. Frankie Muniz? Mm Mm-hmm. Malcolm in the Middle. He played, like, the dorky, like, tech guy in this movie. I I actually really loved it when it came out. I think... I seen it, but, but I... the video game was about Elizabeth Bathory, and like the lore around her is that she like bathed in the blood of. Virgins. Maybe that's why I know her name. And in the game, the game was about her, and when the people started playing the game, if you died in the game, your character died in real, your person died in real life. Yeah, and so they had to like play the game and beat her. It was silly, but um, there's loads of vampire mythos surrounding this woman. So what I set myself out to do was. Look into who is considered to be the world's most prolific serial killer uh, and see what I could learn and try and distinguish between a lot of the myth mm. with with real, which means I spent a lot of time in history books. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give my my props to the book Infamous Lady by Kimberly Craft, The Blood Countess by Andre Kadrescu, uh, Dracula Was a Woman by Raymond McNally, The Blood Countess written by Valentin Penrose and translated by Alexander Trochi. Um, these are all books that I use to help me navigate the very bizarre life and crimes of Elizabeth Bathory. My goodness. 
So like every week, we start with the beginning. Um, the Bathory family uh, gained a lot of power in the late Middle Ages and Renaissance in Central Europe. Many members of that family had positions of power in the Kingdom of Hungary and other countries. They belonged to a clan of nobles called Good Kelid, which formed when two German brothers, Gut and Kelid, moved to Hungary. The first family members have been traced to a man named Andras Rakamev. Um, he's the patron of the monastery of Sarvar in the country of Zatmar, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm. But after military success in 1279, King Laszlo gave uh, Andras' brother, Hados, and all of his sons, who were names. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a Gyoki, Benedict, and Briseis. They were all given an estate at Bador, which it, um, was in the country of Zabolks, which is now Hungary. Mm-hmm. In 1310, Briseis took possession of that property, and his descendants began to refer to themselves as being from Bator, which is became Bathory over time. Um, the Bathory family then divided into two different branches based on descendants of Briseis's sons. So you had um, the Bathory of Samliel. Um, who descended from son Janos. Um, he was the count at Zatmar, and they referred to themselves as Bador, Bathory. And then there was a branch that called themselves Nur Bador, New Bathory, and they descended from son Lucas, or Lukax. He was the youngest son from Briseis. He, uh, he was given lordship, and he built a castle called Hersey, which means loyalty, which is actually really, I think that's a cool name for okay. a castle. Okay. So... 1444, New Bathory rises to prominence um, when Lucas's great-grandson, Itzvin III, is appointed to prime minister, which is a big deal. Um, during the 16th century, there was a fight over the throne, and the New Bathory clan sided with the Habsburgs, who had organized this election of uh, Archduke Ferdinand of Austria to be king of Hungary. Then the, the regular Bader clan supported Janos, uh, who had been elected by a bunch of nobles. The solution to this political issue was a marriage between Georgie Bathory and Anna, who is also a Bathory. They were cousins. Oh, very nice. And they gave birth to Countess Ursabet Bathory on August 7th, 1560. So she was born out of a need for to merge the two families together but they're they were already family <laughs> they were they sure didn't care at that point each one of them wanted their choice to be the ruler oh goodness so that was the solution was if we marry the two cousins then this new child Can is the of the highest of blood is it this? they weren't like super close cousins but still technically cousins okay um so elizabeth also i know that her name is Ursabet, but for the sake of my sanity, I will continue calling her Elizabeth because <laughs> the Hungarian names are a lot and I, there's going to be many, many more. I think that's only fair. So Elizabeth spent her early years at the Bathory estate in the countryside of Nierbader, which was near the Romanian border. She had two older brothers and two younger sisters. Um, I'm, I'm guessing the older siblings were from previous marriages or previous uh, marriages that that couple had or dalliances as nobles are want to do mm-hmm. um and then she had two younger sisters apparently it was considered to be a very beautiful place it was surrounded by farmland forests marshes foggy moors like it was just a beautiful countryside little castle hmm. okay 
Now, during her early years was when the situation happened with the entire Ottoman Empire. And I have now learned more about the Ottoman Empire than I would ever want to know. <laughs> but this was a big deal with Hungary and, and fighting Austria's Habsburg armies. There were food shortages. Famine was very normal. A large quantity of the men in Hungary died during these battles. Um, and while that's happening, this the Ottoman Empire with the situation with the Turks and the fighting with Hungary... We're also entering the Age of Enlightenment in Europe. Um, explorers have made it to the New World. Printing presses are making books, which has given access, given more people to access to literacy than ever before. Um, Elizabeth is being born around the age of Galileo, Da Vinci, Martin Luther, Michelangelo. So it was a very, it was a violent, complex, revolutionary time for a child to be born especially a child of high nobles who would have been told of all of it unlike maybe like a peasant kid they're like listen you don't have to worry about the wars they're like the war ain't here you ain't got to learn about it um many of my sources referenced that the bathory family were like mentally unwell and that exposure to that might have had some negative impact on her um what i found was that a lot of the things that people brought up were things that we could discuss that nobles are eccentric so like there's this discuss about the fact that at some point in her father's life georgie just sat in a chair and wouldn't freaking leave leave the chair nope he wouldn't leave only he would only leave to go to the bathroom he wouldn't bathe he didn't he would eat there i was about to say at least he ate he would eat there he would sleep there like that's just written off as like eccentricities of nobles yeah um at one point they said that like one of her aunts was like into witchcraft, which might have been how Elizabeth learned about the occult. Also, the eccentricities of having too much money and not enough time. <laughs> um, they did there. I did see like some reports of like her older brother being like, <laughs> okay, so they they called him a pervert, but I'm gonna say that maybe he wasn't a pervert. Apparently, he liked to drink a lot. So you're defending and this sometimes, pervert. <laughs> when he would drink, he would run through town naked. So you're defending this program. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's not like exposing yourself. Listen, he, yes, just it wanted is. To, he just got hot and he needed to take a run. It's public drunkenness. But and again, <laughs> eccentricities of being a noble. Oh my God. Well, he They're had, just weird and they can do whatever they want. So they do. I was about to say, even if he did get locked up or something, he'd, be, he'd have the money to get out. Out right away. Exactly. Did we even have public indecency? Yeah, they definitely had public indecency. Oh, yeah. I mean, for during that time period, uh, Protestantism was real high. Oh, yeah. So Christianity was on the rise in that area of Europe. Um, <laughs> but um, they said Elizabeth did suffer from seizures and fits of rage as a child. And I'm going to be honest, those fits of rage continued into adulthood. Um, her father had as well. So this was probably something that she inherited. Um she also wrote in a lot of her letters about like having eye and head pain, which we can assume now are linked to epilepsy and migraines. Hmm. Um, it has been reported that as like a noble, she watched executions. And there's one that was referenced in a couple of history books, which was that there was a peasant who sold his children to the Turks and his punishment was to be sewn alive inside the body of a horse, which it's if you know much about, uh, ancient torture methods this is one that's real um it's pretty terrible uh first they break the victim's limbs then they kind of squash you a bit and sew you inside of the horse and then they leave the body to rot outside of the city 
then you're looking at, you know, jackals, wild dogs, wolves, ultimately eating the victim alive if the victim hasn't suffocated from the gases that are released during decomposition. It's it's like it's like slicing open a tauntaun to stay warm, but you're being kept inside of it. I don't think it's the same. It's, but it's, it's okay. Oh my god, that's so terrible. They broke it. Was, okay, so they break your arms and so you, can't, you can't get out. Yeah, so they break your limbs, so you can't get out, but so, you're still alive. Yes. The legend says that Elizabeth saw the man's head poking out of the horse and she laughed. It's like Ace Ventura getting out of the butt of the rhino. <laughs> I'm so, uh, you'd like, be I, over there laughing with like four-year-old Elizabeth. Gotta, like, you, know, you gotta watch this movie, girl. <laughs> I've seen those movies. Oh my god! Okay, listen. I understand that people love Ace Ventura, but I found him deeply unsettling as a child. It was very, very sexual, and I didn't like it. Yeah. Like a lot of the those movies are like really like. Maybe they just weren't meant for like little girls. Maybe as well. I'm fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> I love those movies. Say all righty then all they the just, damn like, time. All the sex stuff made me really uncomfortable. Um, but either way, that that story is told in the book The Blood Countess by Maurice Perset. Um, a lot of people dispute whether that would have happened because horses were super valuable during this time. So unless the horse was already dead or in the process of dying. People wouldn't have used that form of torture on what is a common peasant. You're right. But, I mean, there's no doubt that she probably saw other executions because Europeans are known to have some of the most just exciting and just flagrant torture of the world. That's tell you about the blood eagle? I think I told you about that. I've, I've, listen, have you been to the um madame tussauds in new york no there's a whole room of recreations of torture i gotta go there (laughs) um as for our gal uh elizabeth she was educated she was very educated which was uncommon um it was uncommon in general even for noble women um she spoke and wrote hungarian greek latin german and slavic so that she could talk with her staff mm-hmm. um she was allowed to study anything she wanted really and so she would get books out everything all cult all sort of stuff um she remained what we would term today a lifelong learner and this seems like common now but obviously like i said even among the aristocracy she was a very well-educated person um she went like she would probably would have been described as a tomboy um okay. she wouldn't be treated like her brothers and their staff she liked dressing up as a boy um, and learning things like fencing and horseback riding. Mm. Um, and when she wasn't allowed to dress the way that she wanted to, she would scream and throw fits. Um, but when it was time, however, she apparently didn't have any problem with dressing like a countess in the jewelry and the fancy gowns and stuff. At 11 years old, she is engaged to marry 16-year-old Count Ferenc Natasdi. Um, This was a business deal between two families. Um common to do at the time um, and what that happened at that point was that the 11 like the young girl would then be sent to her in-laws home and she would be taught how to manage that home before the wedding oh i don't believe she doesn't actually get married i believe until she's like 16 or 17 so she's there for a couple years um so 1572 she leaves her family home she goes to live with the nasty family where she lives until their wedding in 1575 um, both of her parents had died by this point. 
um, Georgie in 1570. And then Anna, while she, uh, her mother, Anna, while she was away with the new family, mm-hmm. um, with both of her parents dying, she inherited a very large amount of property. I imagine. Um, and then her husband's <laughs> parents died respectively in 1562 and 1571. Um, Ferenc's father died rather early when he was like only six years old. And then his mother, uh, Orsolia, only like she seemed to only live long enough to make sure that her son was in a good financial position and to make sure that he was like successfully wed. Huh. Um, I mean, I don't know if she like just held out. You know what I mean? I've, I've experienced that. Like they said that like my grandmother held out until everyone was gone. And then the same thing kind of happened with my best friend when we were in the my best friend from high school, when we were in the room, like the hospital room with her, mm. she didn't pass. And like, she kept having these weird upticks of her vitals and the hospital was just like, you guys need to leave. Like, she's not going to get better and we need to let her pass. So the only person who was with her when she died was her dad. Uh-huh. Um, and the same thing kind of happened with my mom. Um, I had been there for a couple days and I had been sleeping like in the whole room. And so I came back here to like take a shower and change my clothes. Mm-hmm. And my dad had done the same. And then while we had left, she passed and we went back to the hospital. So sometimes I think maybe some people who are sick or, you know, ill mm-hmm. are holding out to make sure that the people that they care about are taken care of. But it seems like maybe Orsalia did that. I mean, right after, <laughs> um, uh, like right before she set up the wedding and everything, mm-hmm. she died. Like right after that, she died. Hmm. I mean, um, I would do the same. I, would, I, I am a neither. very stubborn person. I will die when I feel like it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. But so the situation here, though, like normally, what would happen is that like your mother-in-law would teach you how to handle stuff, right? But her mother-in-law died right before she moved in. Mm. Um. So Elizabeth is like in this new place by herself. Ferenc is a teenager. He's 16, but he's already in the military. Mm-hmm. So he's leaving for huge amounts of time. Because remember, Ottoman wars are happening. So he's going off and fighting for huge jumps of time. So she's there by um, herself. So she has no, they have no parents, neither of them, and a lot of time on her hands. So oh she spends God. all of her time studying um, to be his wife with like some of her, like, you know, I won't call maids, but like tutors. Mm hmm. As well as like studying the occult and really anything she could get her hands on. There is a very persistent rumor that came up in like four or five different books that Elizabeth got pregnant two years before her wedding with a young peasant named Ladislak Bend, where she was then sequestered from public view. The baby was taken away to be raised in secret. And this was, I was like, okay, this could just be a legend because people didn't like her. Right? Mm-hmm. But in 1894, um, author Ferdinand von Strobel discovered documents, like official documents, where Elizabeth had appeared before the priests at the Catholic chapel of Erzengarten and lodged a formal complaint saying that she had been drugged, abducted, and raped, and that her virginity had been stolen. Now, I don't know how true this is. And here's why. Von Ellsberg found two documents that were prepared by the church and both 
have the date of 1609 on them. Okay. 37 years after supposedly the event happened. Wait, huh? So I'm like, did she have the church amend these documents later in her life? Right. When she was in her 40s? Were they filed later to save face? She had to have done something because the church did absolve her of her indiscretion and she was allowed to have her wedding. So what? Never mind. We don't ever. We, exactly. It's super weird. We don't know what happened to the child, do we? Nope. If there was a child. We're, we're assuming there was Honestly, one. Honestly, like they say, like taken away in, in secrecy. But I'm like, they would have bur- They would have killed that baby. Yeah. There's no way you're letting that baby live. Expose. This is in Game of Thrones. They would have exposed that baby. It was one of exposure. But regardless, the mm-hmm. wedding happens May 8th, 1575. Elizabeth is 14 and Farrakh is 19. They get married at Verano Castle, which is now uh, in Slovakia. Ferenc gave her a castle as a wedding gift, Aww. and she accepted it. It was called Castle Zeth. Seth. 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 Oh my gosh, it's so hard to say. C S E J T H E. Demetrescu. Oh, Demetrescu. <laughs> uh, the two Sorry. inherited from their parents thousands of acres of land across multiple countries and over twenty castles. In Hungary, Slovakia, Austria, Romania, and the Czech Republic. Not a bad way to start out a marriage. Mm. Together, they amassed an incredible amount of wealth. Um, we don't know a whole lot about their relationship. Other than um, Elizabeth wrote a lot of stuff in her diary. But she always she wasn't very flowery with her words. Like you see in like older nobles like you know there's other nobles right and talking about you know macad piece and other things <laughs> elizabeth was not like that um, she was very formal um and it was just very to the point um she's recorded as being like a solid wife and mother she attended all of her official functions with her husband went to church gave money to the poor protected widows even gave health care to her staff and like villagers and she frequently would intervene to help poor women whose husbands had been kidnapped at war. So they were now without any money or, right. or livelihood. Right. Okay, said uh, Ferenc, her husband was active in the Ottoman War. He spent huge stretches of times away from home. Um, he also sometimes randomly went on trips without her. And I came across this very formal, but you can tell that Elizabeth was upset to find out that he had traveled to Pennsylvania. And she talked about how, like, Transylvania is nowhere to visit and you didn't have a reason to go there. Wait, Transylvania? Transylvania. Oh, good. She said, this has affected me very much when I heard of it. I was very bitter. God maintain your health. Mm. And I'm like, that must be the 1500s way of saying bless your heart. Yep, that's very... Because that was super... <laughs> very passive. <laughs> that was so passive-aggressive. Um, But... To his point, Ferenc never spoke poorly of her. He defended her honor amongst clergymen. Um, but it was a little bit of a husband, mm-hmm. which is not that crazy because it wasn't like these two fell in love as teenagers. Right. They were put together for a financial thing. So, Now, I'll say, though, by her 20s, Elizabeth has hit her stride. Ferenc's away fighting. She's the lady of Nodesty. She's commanded the respect of all the family staff. She manages the estate well, took appointments. She watches their children. Her further first child wasn't had until after 10 years after they were married. Her, her oh, name was it, Anna. Okay, their first child. Okay. Yep. No, their first child together, 10 years after they were married. And some people were like, maybe that's because, you know, she had the baby beforehand. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's because they were just relative strangers. And, like, especially in that day and age, I don't know if we have, like, tales of 
casual escapades. I'm pretty sure that was a thing. But like I they were probably relative strangers and he wasn't that home that all home that often. That's true. And maybe like after like nine or years, so they were like, we need to have like heirs. We should probably do something about this. Yeah. And so they had three kids total. Um Anna or Salia, named after his mother, and Caitlin. There's three girls, sorry, and then two sons, Andrus and Paul. Andrus lived until he was seven and Orsalia died in 1610. Um, Things started to get weird in the 1580s. And that's really when the rumors began to swirl about Elizabeth. There were a lot of young girls dying on this property, mainly servants, but there was always like an excuse as to why no one could see the inside of the caskets. Sometimes it was like, oh, um, there was an outbreak of cholera. We don't want you to get sick by, you know, opening up the, the boxes. Mm-hmm. Just put them in the ground. You got this. Um, other times she would just like intimidate the crap out of like the priests or the people responsible for burying the bodies and would be like, you put these fucking bodies in the bar and the <laughs> don't open them. Just just shut put, up. Just put them in the dirt. <laughs> you done with it. Yup. Um, Ferenc died actually in 1604 from an illness. And after that, Elizabeth surrounded herself with a group of servants who became her torture crew, kind of. A young boy named Janos Ujvari. They called him Fixgo. Um, Her children's wet nurse, Ilana Janagi, who once she was like, once the youngest son, Paul, was no longer in need of breastfeeding. Mm Mm-hmm. She just stayed and became like her torture buddy. Huh. A friend of Alana's named Doratia, uh, and an elderly washerwoman named Catalin. Hmm. So they were also referred to in documents as Caddy, K-A-T-A. Um, trial documents show that Fixco was referred to as a boy. So by the time the trial happened, he was probably under the age of majority, which was considered 25 at the time. Which means that when he was brought to Elizabeth's court, he was maybe 10 years old, which seems like a, a young age to introduce a boy to torture. I mean, boys got to learn sometime. <laughs> um, he is reported to be disfigured somehow, um, but he was very loyal to Elizabeth. Did anything she asked of him. Hmm. The four of the the four collectively tortured dozens of children, mainly girl servants between the ages of 10 and 14. They were the easiest targets and all of the accountants uh, accomplices eventually admitted that they hurt the girls and it was that countess bathory would join in with whips and cudgels daggers fire irons needles cutting shears hmm i wonder why they couldn't look at those uh bodies exactly now one of the other rumors that i wanted to look deeply into was the fact that she's been called a vampire one of the books even says like the first vampire was a woman um and the big thing that I've read multiple times, even when you just, you know, learn about like scary people mm-hmm. in books and stuff, is that Countess Bathory bathed in the blood of virgins. And it seems like these rumors started because Bathory was obsessed with what she looked like. She spent hours in the mirror every day. She was known to be incredibly beautiful. Um, she also was actively studying witchcraft and the occult. She would dip out into the woods to go hang out with witches and learn things. Um, so there was definitely writings about her maintaining her beauty through evil means. So she took a bassery in virgin blood. (laughs) 
You're such a dork. You're such a dork. I'm sorry. I know. It's a pun. It, 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 it's a pun. Mm-mm. But um, all of that is myth. There were roughly over 300 different people who would testify against her by the time we talk about her trial, mm-hmm. including her own accomplices. Who And her accomplices were tortured into being fully honest. Not a one person brought up blood bathing in any of those transcripts. And believe me, I've looked at over 50 pages of transcripts. I believe it. <laughs> Nobody brought up her bathing in blood. No, this sounds like uh, Madame Delphine. Oh, uh, La Lorie. Yeah. Well, so the first mention of that in any official document is 200 years after Bathory dies. 1720. Sealed documents from her trial are found in the attic of Bidika Castle, where the trial actually happened. At the time, Europe was in the midst of vampire fever, and a Jesuit priest named Laszlo Trotsky used portion of the trial documents for like a book he was writing. But it was kind of a fictional recounting of Hungary's history. And that it's called Hungary, a data compendium with its kings. And he included local like stories from locals. The problem is like the local stories. We'll we'll talk about this later when we get to the trial and whatnot. But the local stories were always like l- myth and legend. Of course. None of the locals ever actually saw anything. Of course not. They're locals. They're peasants. So what happened is that Taroksi's book was adapted and then added to the Encyclopedia on Hungarian History. And that author was deemed to be exceptionally credible. So no one doubted the story of Countess Bathory. Um, And, well, here's what it said, okay? That one day she was, like, beating this girl, and she got blood on her face during the murder, and realizing that blood had healing properties. From that point on, the story gets even further embellished. And of course, since it's, you know, 1700s, no one other than vampires are into blood. So she's a vampire lady. Um, Now, remember I said she changed her clothes all the time? Mm -hmm. That makes sense now. Because her accomplices said that after she was done beating the crap out of children, she was covered in blood. Yeah, that makes sense. That, 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 That tracks. And it it's also there's also another story where um one time she got so enraged when she was beating one of her victims mm-hmm. that she bit the victim ah but other people have been victims i mean that's crime of passion like bundy yeah, yeah. Passion he, that's one of the things that got him in trouble in the end one of his victims he bit and he left a nice. noticeable teeth mark yeah um, so like that is something when people begin to lose control that they sometimes do when they're like doing that sort of stuff. They they go back to their primal urges. Yeah. So yes, she was brutal and vicious, but not a vampire by any definition of the words. Now you know, <clears throat> it's funny uh, how they said that uh, just because she you know the the healing properties of blood mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah she was a vampire. Blood is actually very powerful in magic. Oh yeah. So I don't I don't doubt that she didn't do some stuff with witchcraft and blood. Yeah. And I mean, do you remember a couple of years ago Kim Kardashian was take getting those blood facials? That was a thing that went through the states for a little bit. <laughs> with people like it was your own blood though. What they would do is they would like take some blood out and then only they like poke your face and then they would cover your face in blood. It was super weird. <laughs> it seems like a full on ritual. If I'm 
that's some Illuminati stuff right it, there. That seems like a ritual to me, but whatever. It was just like, it's to make me more beautiful, whatever, mm-hmm, girl. Sure. One thing that um, was noted in a lot of texts was that as she progressed in life, it wasn't that she didn't know how to do her job, but that she found it very stressful as a noble woman. It was emotionally taxing. And then uh, a lot of her torture and murder happened after she had to do, like, make a trip, do something social. There's a couple of different weddings she ended up going to where afterwards she, like, brutalized a slew of young girls. So it was almost like this was her way of releasing... Stress? Stress, yeah, was, was the were these murders. <laughs> okay. We're flex. So I'll say... I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna lay this out there. The books don't say this, but I'm gonna say this. The thing that ended with her being found is because she was stupid, and she decided she wanted to beat noble girls. I mean, that's a. I mean, so she created this <laughs> place and one of her castles called the gymnasium, and it was supposed to be like a finishing school for noble girls and girls of high blood. And because of her status and how educated she was, people willingly sent her kid, their kids there. Mm-hmm. And very shortly after, people started going missing. And they weren't allowed to see their children. Um, this man named Martin Shannity came and demanded to see his sister. And he brought another man with him. And they brought the sister out eventually. And she was like weak and crying. And for some reason, Martin left the girl there. Oh, she's fine. No, she's she. You're doing well, a great she's job. Alive. Yeah, I'm like your sister's literally sobbing, but whatever, buddy. She's saying take me home, but no, no, no. You need this. <laughs> literally, that finishing school only existed for a few weeks. Oh, oh, damn. <laughs> I'll, I'll explain why, but first, let me explain to you what happened there. Um, she did a good job for the first couple of years hiding evidence of the torture. It was just a rumor. You know, the girls who worked for her sometimes walked through town with bandages. They had welts, a couple of scars. Townspeople, church officials, grave diggers started seeing the the real reasons these girls were dead and not the lies of illness. It got to the point where even the household staff were seeing things. And that's why there were so many witnesses when the trial happened. So I'm going to, I've alluded to most of the torture, but I'm going to give you the rundown of what used to happen here. Okay. Um, the girls were washed with and made to roll on the floor with nettles, pins stuck into their lips under their fingernails, needles jammed into their shoulders and arms, flogging uh, while they were nude and chained up, their hands, arms, and abdomens scorched with burning irons, chunks of skin ripped out of their backs with pliers, Ugh. noses, lips, tongues, and fingers pierced with needles, mouses, mouths, forced shut with clamps. I thought you were saying mouse is forcing somewhere. <laughs> no, I, I just mouths. Flesh cut out of the buttocks from between the shoulders, mm. cooked and then served back to them. Oh, come on. Flesh and private parts singed with candles, knives into arms and feet, hands crushed or maimed, fingers cut off with scissors and shears, red hot pokers shoved inside of people, Ugh. bodies beaten to death with cudgels, lashings until flesh came off of the bone um and then a couple different instances of 
when she was like traveling with girls they were and like one girl tried to run away from her and then i guess she complained that she was like thirsty um elizabeth made her go get into a river that was frozen and she was repeatedly doused with water until she froze to death. Bruh, come on. That happened a couple different times in a couple different situations. Oh my God, this is terrible. This is torture just listening to this. So remember I told you that a couple, like this only lasted a couple weeks before like everyone was dead at the gymnasium? Yeah. Right. So Elizabeth told the families, all of your children are dead because of another girl who was there who had been greedy and killed everybody. And then that girl had committed suicide. That's uh, not even a good lie. No, what? No, I don't believe that. Well, so dozens of families then complained to the king's court, accusing her of killing their children from the, you know, Hungarian aristocracy. Mm -hmm. And so the king was like, listen, this is great. I'm going to get rid of her and I'm going to get all her land. Ah, I got land. Now, the clergy had been a little wary of her when she was alive because that's when the rumor started. But now that that her husband was gone mm -hmm. the clergy people were like all right we've been telling y'all you, um, got, you got this single lady up in here she's rich she got all this land you know she's doing something crazy right um her noble friends weren't much help some of the priests at different castles that she lived in because during this whole time between like the 1980s and the night early 16 sorry the 15 9 15 like 80s mm -hmm. up to like 16 10 esque she bounced from castle to castle and death followed her wherever she went. Um, some of the priests at different castles that she lived in had like been like, you know what? I'm not burying any more of these bodies. So then what would happen there? Like one of them, his name was Pastor uh, Pythirius, refused to do it anymore, even among threats of like violence against him. And so... Those girls from a castle in Kretzer were buried at night in the town cemetery illegally. Oh. So the, the main castle where a lot of things were happening was a uh, such such the one that was given to her as a present. Oh, her, her wedding present? Her wedding present castle is central. Of course it is. Uh, Pastor Barosius informed his successor, Reverend Janos Punakensis, that weird stuff happened. And he said that he spent a lot of time arguing with Countess about the death of so many girls. And honestly, that was why he was stepping down from his position. In some of his private documents, like writings, he mentioned that like one time he had to bury nearly 10 girls in one night. Oh my God. So uh, Punakensis takes over the job and he's appalled. He finds these underground tunnels that connect the church to the castle. And like first thing he finds is, you know, normal stuff. Heirlooms, Ottoman treasures, things gathered during the war. And then he finds nine unsealed boxes with the decomposing remains of nine girls who were horribly mutilated. Uh. And he writes a letter to his direct supervisor, um, Reverend Ilias Lanyi, and told that reverend what happened but that letter gets intercepted by castle staff and then they send guards to him to warn him not to do it again mm. but he spends literally the, as much time as he can trying to get letters out of of the castle mm. to say what's going on and he did succeed twice 
Um, one letter went to Palatine Georgie Thurzo and the other to King Matthias II. Ooh, okay. The king demands an investigation, which is awkward because uh, Palatine Georgie Thurzo had agreed at his friend Ferenc's deathbed to watch over Elizabeth and her children. Well, uh. And now he's being ordered by the king to investigate if this same woman is a murderer. Well, see, King, look, I, I, I went and I saw, you know, and I didn't see nothing. He try. I'm going to be honest. Thurzo tries. He like Georgie Thurzo. He tries, but she doesn't make it easy. Um, oh, come on. It was hard for him in the beginning because the two of them had gotten close. Like Thurzo's wife uh, was also named Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they all called each other like cousin and they would go on vacations together. But like Palantine, like the Palantine really had no choice. Like that was his job as, you know, to be Palantine. So Thurza really had no choice. So he starts by ordering different men to inquire around the different castles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, and the direct quote is to make inquiries of witnesses as the law of the kingdom requires. So from March through July of that year, um, a man named Andres of Koretzer interrogated 34 witnesses and he completed his report September 19, 1610. Many of the witnesses were all commoners. They came from the nearby town of Ujeli. Uh, 14 of them were subjects of another nobleman named Daniel Pongrax. Um, he shared holdings with the Natasdes in the land around Castle Bekov. <laughs> that that means something, but I'll get there. Seven were servants of Peter Ratke. Five were vassals of Squire Ferenc Magici, who also owned neighboring property. And it's almost kind of ironic that these are servants of people who never would have even been allowed onto the Countess's land without express permission are now being invited to testify against her as to what they know about her. Hmm, interesting. And so I'm guessing more than likely some of these men who had, you know, land holdings nearby were like, you, you go on and talk to that guy. Yeah. Um, but the, the workers behaved with discretion. They were like, listen, we haven't seen anything with our own eyes, but we've heard rumors. And so they told of all the rumors. But none of this is conclusive. It's course, all hearsay. They're, they're all rumors. There's one witness. His name is Andreas Samaji. He was a city clerk who had seen some girls who had pretty burned up hands. But that was it. That wasn't a murder. That was just somebody who burned themselves. Mm. So then another. So then he sent another group. Um, This was Deputy Notary Moses Zirki. He started an investigation on March 25th and didn't do much better. He focused on Castle Sarver. But since all of those servants were still working for the countess, they wouldn't talk to him. Only a handful of the 18 witnesses that he interrogated offered anything useful. Um, like one guy had seen a bloodstain on the wall. Another one heard sounds of beatings from outside the castle. Um, someone was like, well, there's a rumor that like 175 dead girls have been taken out of the castle. Oh my God. But like none of these people witnessed the torture. So there was nothing to do with it. Bathory Elizabeth learns about these inquests. So she decides, hmm, I don't know if my time's up yet. <laughs> and she writes a will, a last will and testament, giving all of her assets to her children, Paul, Anna, and Kata. 
She asks that Paul reach the age of maturity before splitting the property and that no harm come to him. Mm -hmm. He was 12 at the time. This happened in September of 1610. Okay. In October, she went to Castle Sarver and collected all of her jewelry and personal items, sent them to Castle Seth's Setch. She then had Setch established as her new court. That's the one that he gave her as a present. Okay. The notaries sent their reports to Thurzo, and he was like, this this isn't enough. But the king's like, I want that land. (laughs) Thurzo's like, I'm going to try. He tries to stall through Christmas. Bathory and Thurzo's friendship takes a hit when she finds out that he's in charge. Um, on, an, on October 20th, 1610, she writes this angry letter that's complete bollocks. Like, she's complaining about how one of his servants abused her whole household and she couldn't stand for this kind of insult. Oh, and I'm like, really, she was mad because she felt like her friend betrayed her. By November, Thurzo is trying to do his best to, like, get her a lighter sentence Mm because he sees that she's probably going to get in trouble. So he's like, maybe we can have her like sent to a convent or imprisoned in her castle. He starts sending letters to her son-in-laws. Oh, pretty much saying like, listen, we're thinking that your, your mother-in-law is going to get arrested. If we have her left in her castle, would you like fight against this? She is family. We need you to be in support of this. They say we won't interfere. They also, in these letters, start discussing how they're going to divvy up the estate. Yeah, see, that's what I was thinking too. Exactly. But she put her son. They don't know about the will yet. (sighs) But with the son-in-laws working with her, Thorzo's still like, I need to see this myself. Um. In December, another man, his name was Gaspar Bajaki, recorded the testimony of 40 local villagers who claimed about the murder, hearing the murders at Bathory Court. He's still doing his job to make the king happy. Um, just before Christmas, Thurzo goes to Castle Seth's to meet with Bathory. He tells her about all these allegations, and he's just like, listen, like, did you do this? He's like, the pastor uh, Barosius and Rever Ponacensis have discussed this in the local churches. What do you think happened here? She's not. Not a nope. She didn't say not a damn thing. Yeah, she denied. She was a very good actress and liar. She's reported in history books as being very poised and calm. Of course, she's so smart and very charming. So she gives Thurzo some (coughs) of that charm. She tells him that this is nonsense. There had been an epidemic in one of the servants' quarters in her one of the uh, castles, and she had lost all of her staff. She told him that the children of the aristocrats had been killed by that jealous girl who then killed herself. Whatever fluff she gave Thurzo that day, it only pushed off the inevitable. After that meeting, the countess actually went into another one of her rages and killed more girls. Oh, my God. Come on. You're already like they, they're already looking into you. Stop. The, stop it. Stop. That's the problem with like we've talked about this before with other killers. Like when they have the like urge like I, I think i mentioned this before that ed kemper said that like mm. the the urge to kill would become so strong that he would get reckless and that's exactly what's happening here um because the servants were running out of places to hide or dispose of the body i believe it they were being put in mass graves at one point like they were being buried illegal at the church at night but you could only do that when some when there was an actual funeral and you know like the ground had been freed up right 
So they were like storing bodies in other areas where there were already bodies. You couldn't just go up to the cemetery and start digging because then people would see it. Yeah, they'd be so they suspicious. would have to like time that. Where's this new mound coming from? Where are exactly. these mounds coming from? Yeah. They had been throwing some of the bodies into the canals and then like a dog dragged one of the bodies out. Oh my God. Her accomplices were doing their best. Like some of them were burying them at nighttime. One time a servant dropped four bodies over the castle walls and local villagers saw it and reported it. Oh, that's not doing your best. <laughs> They're like, listen, we have nowhere else to put these. Burn them. Well, they can't put them in the, they can't leave them in the, the um, underground tunnels because that's where he reported where they were. Yeah. So now that's not an area where they can leave them anymore. No, but you can burn them at least. Burning does not go as well as you think it does. Uh, oh, well, we've talked about this before. It's a bad smell. Yeah. And it takes a real long time. Yes, that's true. I mean, fire doesn't even get as, well, natural fire doesn't even get as hot. As a crematorium, make it make your own crematorium. You got you the have money. To add in like metals or other accelerants to get it hot enough mm. to completely cremate a body. You got the money. Make your own. <laughs> so Christmas Eve comes. The local clergy visit our countess. Uh, Pastor Nicholas Barosius comes back. Uh, he was now working in the town of Verbo. Uh, other clergymen show up, all extolling her. They're like, "Listen, just admit your crimes." In, in the face of God, you know, Thurzo gets summoned again. He announces, he's like, listen, I'm coming back. And this time I'm going to be coming with the king. Along with um, uh, 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 Emery McGeary, which was Pal's guardian and tutor at Castle Sarver. And it's, it's likely that the clergymen were like just kind of an annoyance. Mm-hmm. The real fear was Thurzo and the king. So Elizabeth goes to the forest and goes to meet a witch. And she's like, I need to become invisible in front of my enemies. And so I don't know if she thought that she was going to get like an invisibility spell or something. But the witch created these several cakes. This sounds familiar. Okay, continue. It was probably pretty common at the time. And what I will only say is that before they arrived... She like chanted in her bedroom over this one gray cake and the other two cakes were given at the dinner party, which is only it's referenced in book as a disastrous dinner party where everyone there became ill after eating the cakes. We don't know if Elizabeth wanted them to die, but it sure ruined any hope of there being a positive outcome here because uh, Emery filed a formal complaint with the Hungarian parliament um, saying that the girls at Sarver Castle had been murdered. Thurzo's trial, Thurzo trying to like settle this quietly in a convent. Nothing. Cause the king was like, this bitch just tried to kill me. <laughs> no, it's just terrible cakes. <laughs> the king uh, has orders. Like the king sends official orders. Um, those are delivered on December 27th. Uh, Thurzo set out from Bratislava on a two day ride to uh, Seth. He was accompanied by Magiri, as well as Elizabeth's son-in-laws, Counts Drugeth and Zorinyi, who he had been talking, and an armed escort. They arrive on December 29th to apprehend Bathory and her accomplices. What comes next we only have accounts from based off of Thurzo's letters that he wrote. The big door to the castle is open. 
there are bodies all over the area. As they go inside, they find women attached to like pillars and things like everywhere. Like at this point, she didn't even care anymore. There was no attempt to hide this or do this in the dungeon or anything. She just... They were everywhere. Like she completely lost control. Probably after she learned that they were coming to get her, mm-hmm. she went on like a several day murder spree. Oh my God. Um, one, one girl survives this. Her name is Anna, and I will eventually tell you what happens to Anna, but she's going to be the end of my story. Okay. Um, the Many of the girls who were alive were taken out of the castle. They tried to interview them. A lot of them died later at doctors. Um, Bathory had actually fled, but they knew exactly where she was. There was a manor in town, and she had gone to go stay at her manor. She was quickly collected, taken back to the castle, accompanied by a crowd of commoners who were like, this looks interesting. <laughs> They're like, we got a show today. More entertainment. Let's go. They searched the castle. First, they put her in a dungeon and they searched the castle for any more evidence. Um, Eventually, they did allow her to go back to her manor as they collected more interviews from survivors and the bodies of the deceased. First, they went after her accomplices. I will not give you their testimony. It's long. Um, Like I said, they were tortured as part of their confessions. They told everything that could be told after being starved, left in darkness, beaten, partially drowned, burned, pressed with weights, stretched, pulled, pinched, smacked around, losing fingernails, toenails. Everything that used to happen when you were tortured Mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, Their trial started January 2nd, 1611. um, And all of them detailed how they went out searching for peasant girls to murder them. Um, Fixo did the least because he was a kid. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, five different times he admitted to going out to find peasant girls and inviting them back to the castle. Um, the others did a lot more. A lot of the other women. Um, now, there's one woman. Um, Catalin? Cata? Uh, I feel like she must have told more or told first because she doesn't get the same kind of end treatment as everybody else. Hmm. But regardless, uh, they were executed um none of them they also admitted that none of them knew when bathory started killing just that they had been brought in later on um alana joe was first and this this murder was meant to inflict some level of torture on her like what she had done to others okay so they set up this giant like pyre near the river and there they had like a like a hot device i would say almost like a little wrench and they started by taking it and, like, literally ripping fingers off of her hand. Oh, my God. What? No. After the fourth finger, she passed out. Uh, uh, yeah. At that point, then, they just, like, conked her in the head and threw her in the fire. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's terrible. Because <laughs> <laughs> I said conked. Yes. <laughs> um, Dorota fainted before Alana Joe was even murdered. She saw it and heard like the screams from her friend and the cow and the crowd. Yeah. And she passed out. She's like, this um, is going to happen to me They still ripped her fingers off while she was passed out and then threw her in the fire. What? What? They proved nothing. She was passed out. She didn't care. She was dead. Um, Fixo went last and the executioner did not rip off his fingers. He was actually beheaded. Oh, okay. Um, and then his body was thrown into the fire as well. Um, as I said, I'm guessing he was given a less painful execution because he was a child when he started helping her. I doubt that mattered. The fourth accomplice was not executed. Um, her testimony was substantial enough that they went lenient on her. Her Catalan isn't mentioned again in history books. Huh. 
Um, I'm guessing more than what likely happened is that after she was in prison for a while, she was probably just released. They, she gave up a lot. Uh, yeah, she had to have given up a lot. And probably without as much effort as the others. Yeah, she's like, you want to know? I got you. Wait, let me, let me just write this all down for you guys. Wait, well, you can write? Which? January <laughs> 24th, 1611. They go and find the witch that made the cakes. Oh, my God. That made the king sick and put her on trial. And she is executed by being burned alive <sighs> as a witch. Because you're a witch. you witch. So then what happens to Elizabeth? For one, between like all of the, the letters and the notaries ones and the actual people who testified against her, the assessment in books that over 300 people testified against her is 100% true. Um, even Thurzo testified against her. He was like, I found all these bodies. But even then, he wasn't willing to say she did it. Mm-hmm. He was like, ah, I don't know who did it. Yeah, uh, these She's bodies... allegedly the killer. She might not have even been there. We found her in the manor. <laughs> these bodies just, I don't know. They, like, they, just, they were just here. And the he's, he's trying to do what Ferenc asked him to do, which just lets you know that uh, Georgie Thurzo was just a, a, yeah, he's a, a solid guy. dude. He's a stand-up but, guy. Dang, dude. But you can't protect her that much. <laughs> she... Well, uh, Bathory writes letters to everybody asking for help um, while she's on house arrest at the manor. When it was time for her to receive her sentence, um, she was kind of bitter. And um, she's there. They're all there at the castle, right? And she threatens the priest, Ponacensis. And finally, like, Thurzo is like, you, Arsabet, are a wild animal. You are in the last months of your life. You do not deserve to breathe the air on earth or see the light of the Lord. You shall disappear from this world and shall never appear in it again. As the shadows envelop you, may you find time to repent your bestial life. I hereby condemn you, lady of such, to lifelong imprisonment in your castle. Oh, my God. That was something that was recorded. He got mad. He was like, Jesus, can you just be quiet? (laughs) He's like, look, I'm your friend, but you got to hear the truth now, okay? Here's the problem, though. The king was like, ah, this isn't enough for me. She got to uh, die. <laughs> she gets the death penalty and we have a public trial. Then uh, I can get all of her properties. And remember, thousands of acres of land, over 20 land. castles. Oh, my God. So. Thurzo's like, fine, I'll do an investigation. He he goes deep this time. Um, and it's really interesting because even Powell wrote a letter with his guardian asking Thurzo not to allow the king to kill his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a document dated July 28, 1611, uh, the notary Andres of uh, recorded the testimony of 224 people, court officials, servants, administrators, townspeople, clergy, nobles, all from Elizabeth's castles, everybody from everywhere. And that was sent to the king, um, including the the written testimony from the accomplices who were all tortured. Mm-hmm. It didn't give the king what he wanted to hear. Um, the, witness, the witnesses laid out the dirty laundry for everybody. The countess, uh, the Bathory and Nadesdy family, neighboring nobility, um... Hungary's most beloved war hero, Ferenc Nazdi, was exposed as a villain who brutalized his servants and taught his wife bizarre torture games, covered up her murders while he was alive, 
Personnel from Elizabeth's court and towns, respected squires and nobles were all accused of assisting in the murders by either procuring the girls, in some cases their own relatives, engaging in cover-up, or just turning a blind eye when they learned about it. As these allegations were like read through to the king, um, uh, Emery McGeary uh, has to lobby to protect Pal as these reports are coming out. Like mm. it's still very much in house. Like this is amongst all the nobles and people are finding out that this is being reported. Right. The king is like, oh shit. Um, we can't really risk the legacy. No. Of our most decorated war hero. So we're not going to have a public trial. We're just going to stick with the one that happened in private. She can stay in her castle for the rest of her life. Oh, my God. So she can keep her land. Well, technically, Pal kept her land. Okay. Yeah. So it stays in the family. Yep. It stays in the family. Um, the first few months of her being left in the castle, a lot of people visited. Even um, Thurzo's wife, Elizabeth, um, came. Um, but eventually, that kind of dwindled. It happens to anybody who's in prison. In the beginning, people are willing to take that trip to come see you, but it just slowly fizzles out. Um, I mean, she lives in like a small little town with her freaking castle. Pretty much. She lives in like a small town. She had like bodyguards and stuff, but she was not allowed to have like the same number of like waiting maidens on her as before, especially not because she was known to violently beat the crap out of them. I mean, (laughs) so like um, she was surrounded by like bodyguards and things like that. I'm sure she probably had like a cook here and there Mm -hmm. um, who was paid to make sure she was, you know, kept fed. Um, She wrote letters constantly to everybody in her family to other noble families, to any friends she had. She begged, she said she was innocent. She begged for visits. Not many people answered. Ma'am, no, you're not. <laughs> it's been said when she ran out of paper, she wrote on the walls. Uh. July 31st, um, 1614, which was three weeks before her death, two priests came and they notarized an addendum to her will. This was her attempt to make sure that her daughter and not her betraying ass son in law, Drew Geth, would get any of her land. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't work. Um, She died August 25th, 1614. She was buried at the church in Setch on November 25th. I don't know why it took so many months for her to be buried. Um, Her remains got removed from Setch after locals complained. And I don't know if they were complaining about ghosts or something, but they were said to have taken them to the Bathory estate in 1617. And there it was assumed that she stayed until July of 1938, where they opened up the original crypt she was in. And they were like, oh, it's empty. That makes sense. But then in 1995, the Bathory family crypt was opened at Nearbutter, and they didn't find her remains there either. Where's she at? It honestly could be any of the 20 castles that her family owned but they haven't really looked too far into it she's been dead for 300 years they don't really care like for 300 and some years at this point um as for the people who all kind of figured prominently in the countess's life i can tell you about a couple of them her cousin gabor bathory the prince of transylvania who she wrote to constantly to ask for help was murdered october 18th 1613 by his own men a year before she died Her daughter, Anna, died on August 13th, 1615. She had no children, which meant that Anna's husband, Drugoth, did get the land that she didn't want him to get as the only one left. Bullshit. 
Uh, December 1615, Palatine, Georgie Thurzo dies. His wife, Elizabeth, uh, was famous at this point for stealing Countess Bathory's jewelry. Uh, but she later died in poverty. So that's sad. Huh. How ironic. March 9th, 1616. Her son, eight, at 18 years old, divides up the goods at Setch and Beckoff between himself and Georgie Drugeth, the last two people connected to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, August 3rd, Pal gets married. Uh, that's 1620, four years later. At 22 years old, he gets married to Judith Reve. They have their first son, Georgie, born December 15th, 1621. Then they have another son, born January 14th, 1623. His name was Ferenc, and they had many, many other children. There was one survivor from Castle Sets, a young girl named Anna, who was rescued on the night of the raid. She was taken to the nearby town of Ujeli and treated there by the town Barber, which was the equivalent of a surgeon. His name was Thomas. Anna was then taken back to her home of her widowed mother. She was working in the castle to give money to her mother. Mm. Um, Anna's hands had been cut to pieces. Pieces had been cut out of her back on both of her shoulders, her buttocks. Flesh had been cut on both sides. She was actually like just in on bedridden for two months healing. Um, Local records indicate that because of this treatment, she received 56 guilders and 15 pounds of wheat by the uh, city from the administer of the of the castle. Okay. Essentially as payment. Like, well, essentially, uh, Thur- Thurzos was like, uh, here's a lot of money. Yeah. Or the equivalent of money um, to pay for what you went through. It's like gildos and wheat. Um, they're called gilders. Gilders. Um, which, so it's, it's essentially that's uh, Netherlands money. Um, gilders. Dutch guilders. Uh, so a guilder is like 50 cents in our money, but 56, so. Mathing it up. I am. So 56, 56 guilders, though, that would have been 31 U.S. dollars, but that's 31 U.S. dollars in. In like 1600s money. Uh-huh. So let's see. Which would be the equivalent of, gosh, I can't. Like one dollar is like forty-seven dollars. It wasn't a lot of money, but the it, bigger thing they like, gave her was they gave her all the wheat, yeah, which she could sell, and then they gave her a property. Okay, well, I, I mean, I, I still would have wanted some more money, like mm-hmm. a little bit more money. Yeah, she was given a farm on the property. The she got tortured the, on the yeah. Uh, it was free entirely where she lived her life in peace. And I hope she got some manner of 1600s therapy. I hope. Well, I mean, at that point, because remember, four years later, I mean, Chick died. So yeah. The Bathory was dead. She got to live most of her life by herself. But yeah, that's that's the the truth and the fiction of Countess Elizabeth Bathory. Um, there's really no official way to know how many people she totally killed. Oh my God. Um, it's it's pretty solidly like like I said the hundred Guinness World Records says six hundred over six hundred um and that one guy said that he had that there had been over one hundred and seventy five just at that one castle oh my god how lovely so it's thoroughly plausible that that number of six hundred is solid 
just imagine how haunted those castles are. I would say, yeah, if you want to visit a haunted place, find one of the castles with Sarver, uh, the Seth Castle. Oh my God. Uh, Bitica. Those are the ones where she was really doing a lot of stuff. Just, yeah. But, like, yeah, supposedly, like, after her, like, son, her, like, daughter's weddings, she went on a couple of really awful benders. She was just like, this is my reception. I'm getting, she a bunch <laughs> I'm, of getting I'm, I'm enjoying crazy. myself. But uh, interesting to learn more about her. Like, this is the most I could find. There's a lot more. Because there's so much history to pour through with this. But she was a real person. Hmm. Um, she did do horrible things. But, like, we found out with that final inquest into her family... Her husband helped. Yeah. I mean, her he, husband taught her how to do it. I was about to say, he it. taught her those things. And so he probably also killed an immeasurable amount of people while he was still alive until 1604. I mean, yeah, until, you know, he was training her. This is how you do this. He probably that. trained her with war crime stuff. Yep. How lovely. How That's d- my story for the day. Happy 25th uh, episode. Yay. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of Serial Killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warding keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CAUGHT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. And what do you have for us now, Mr. Joyner? Well, today we'll be taking a break away from the spooky stuff. Interesting. Get a little serious on this podcast for okay. 25 episodes. Okay. What does that mean? We're getting really, really real up in here. Okay. So I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, no, I'm talking about spooky stuff today. I oh, it's all about spooky stuff. About. Come on. I am so sorry for the deception, but yes, I am talking about scary stuff today. That's what we're here for. That's what you're here for, yeah, sir. This is yes, yes. To, to give me banter and to also spook me. This is why I pay you <laughs> <laughs> nothing because we don't make any money yet. Yes. <laughs> Side note: If you want to buy t-shirts, you can buy them on WhenKillersGetCaught.com. <laughs> yeah, nice merch plug. <laughs> okay, I gotta remember to do that at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, so people actually know the people who don't listen the whole way through. People who know. Oh goodness. Anyway, well, my one friend Ray does listen to your parts. He wants to meet you. Okay. Hi, Ray. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
So I anyway, so since this is like our twenty five, mm-hmm. I thought I'd make it story time today. Okay. So we are heading back out east, Japan. Oh. <clears throat> For some ghost stories. You love Japanese stuff. And I got to tell you, they have some great horror. They do. They really do. One of the things I find really interesting was that you told me that like when we talked about like the tall lady from Japan, Uh that like their their mythology, like legends, like spooky stories, like are taken at face value. Yeah, absolutely. This is real. There's no like, oh, well, I saw a ghost once and I know lots of people won't believe me. Like if you say (laughs) you saw... Haji Shakusama. Then you saw her. <laughs> Thank you for saying her name because I showed nothing. No problem. She's Look, a tall lady from Japan. Her name is Haji Shakusama. Her. her name. Her name. Yeah. So I think that's so interesting because like that totally changes like how I read about this stuff. Like when people read about like the the girl walking home from the train and you're not supposed to talk to her and stuff like that. Like, see, I was thinking about covering that one. The, the you talking about the slit mouth ghost. I don't remember what she looked like. I just remember there being like a a Reddit post where this girl would like comment about like what happened whenever she would walk home from a train station late at night and that like occasionally she would be like, I think it was like in the um, no sleep, but like the point of no sleep is that you never, never, never doubt whether this thing really happened. Because that is always true. But it was going on for like days with her saying that like this girl occasionally walks with me and she always leaves before I get like near my area but that like she never seems to be going anywhere or have like the right amount of clothing on and stuff like that but i did that just changed that entirely because I'm kidding, so that's <laughs> deemed to be real no oh matter what yeah uh i just got goosebumps like three different times <laughs> this is going right up my spine uh, daytime. i know goodness but um today since we're going to japan i'll be talking about some that was just somebody dropping something above us. Okay. <laughs> you got scared. <laughs> Stop. Goodness, it's daytime. No ghost stuff. Yo, it is daytime. Knock it the hell and off. I live in an apartment complex, so uh, okay. we do hear occasional bumps in okay. the daytime. That's, this, is what, this is what it We're is. We're used to recording at night <laughs> yes. when there's no sounds because everyone's asleep. Oh, my God. <clears throat> anyway, I'll be talking about some Uray today. Ooh, I don't know that. Yurei. They are, it's the name for a Japanese ghost. Oh, but they have so many. Yes, but that's like a categorization of oh. them. But um, I'm going to be discussing three, uh, the, actually, the three big ghost stories okay. in uh, Japan. Um, so, I want to get, let's just get to it, shall yeah, we? Yeah, let's just jump into it. Okay. Like your name's Philip DeFranco. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the first story uh, we have today is the tale of Okiku. Mm-hmm. Or it's the, the actual story's name is, uh, well, translated, it's uh, the Dish Manor at Bancho. Hmm. Now, this uh, Okiku is, this, is the name of uh, a servant girl mm-hmm. that she... Oh, the story goes uh she lost a precious plate um and she was punished for it she was you know killed for it oh. um god and, that sounds like right in line with what we were just talking about with rich lady killing a poor girl and yeah she came back as a vengeful spirit 
right? And that's a whole different spectrum of like Japanese lore, like vengeful spirits versus other spirits. Yes, this is why I like it. Okay, so I'm just gonna jump right into the story. Listen, I'm ready. <clears throat> Long ago, there was a woman named Okiku who worked as a dishwashing servant at the... Ooh, I did not... <laughs> Look, bear with me. Pronunciation is not my thing. Anyway. We just need to find someone who speaks many languages. I know. With this. Uh, it was the Himeji, that's what I'm going to go with, uh, castle. Mm -hmm. Okiku was very beautiful, and it was not long before she caught the eye of her master's retainers. Of one of her master's retainers, a samurai named. Yeah. Ayama? <laughs> Ayama? Ayama? Ayama. Ayama. Uh, tried many times to seduce Okiku, but each time she rejected his advances. Eventually, Ayama grew impatient with Okiku and decided to trick her into becoming his lover. In the castle, there was a set of ten very expensive dishes. Ayama hid one of them and then called for Okiku. He told her one of his master's fine dishes was missing and demanded to know where it was. Okiku became frightened. Losing one of her lord's prized dishes was a crime punishable by death. She counted the dishes. One two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She recounted them again and again. Each time she came up with one short. Okiku was distraught. Ayama told Okiku that he would overlook her mistake and tell his master that it wasn't Ukiku who lost the dish, but only if she would become his mistress. So Ukiku wanted to live. She once again refused Ayama. Ayama, whatever. Um, He's an asshole. This time, <laughs> the samurai became furious. He ordered his servants to beat Ukiku with the wooden swords. Afterwards, he had her tied up and suspended over the castle well. He tortured Okiku, repeatedly dunking her into the well, only to pull her out of the water and beat her himself. Ayama demanded one last time for Okiku to become his mistress. Once again, she refused. So, Ayama struck her violently with his sword and dropped her body down into the well. Not long after Okiku's ghost was seen wandering the castle grounds. Night after night, she would rise from the well and enter her master's house, searching for the missing, missing dish. She would count the plates. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine... After counting the ninth plate, she would let out a blood-curdling scream that could be heard throughout the castle. She tormented Ayama in this way, every night, robbing him of his rest. Those who heard 
part of Okiku's counting became very sick. Those unlucky enough to hear her count all the way to nine died shortly after. Mm. Finally, the lord of the castle decided that something had to be done about Okiku's ghost. So he called a priestess and asked him to pray for her and exorcise her spirit. The priest waited in the garden all night, chanting sutras. One again. One, oh, once again, Okiku's ghost rose out of the well. She began to count the dishes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Okay, but what happened to the guy? As soon as Okiku counted the ninth dish, and before she could scream, the priest shouted out, Ten! Okiku's ghost appeared relieved that someone had found a missing dish. From then on, she never haunted the castle again. That's it? That's it. She don't haunt nobody else, though? No. Um, that old boy? I'd have haunted him just out of spite. I know. So would I. Like, he would have got it. He would have been the first one to die, actually. Listen, you murder me, you're going to find me laid out on your bed one night when you walk in. Uh, how's it going? So, does the counting thing remind you of anything? Not off the top of my head. So, this story is actually the inspiration for um, a movie. Actually, it's an inspiration for a lot of plays, too. Um, But specifically, it's an inspiration for um, Ringu. Or the ring. Really? Yes. I don't remember there being counting there. The seven days. Oh, right, right, right. You get the phone call that lets you know you have that many days left. Yes. So... Think about it. She, when I think of Ringo, I think of the girl calling out of the TV. Yeah, but she calls out of what? A well. She does. Yes, she does. She crawls out of the well that's on the TV, and then she crawls out of your TV. Yeah. Miss Samara, she crawls out of your, uh, your TV. Yeah. You really really forgot all about that. That was such a long time ago that I watched that movie. It's on Netflix now if you really want to watch it. <laughs> they just put it on like a couple weeks ago i really don't like my least favorite part of that movie is the horrible disfigured face of the people she kills i mean yeah that like it's such a brief it's like for a second you get to see it and the girl's head like tumbles down and mm-hmm. you see like the disfigured face and i hate it <laughs> i just don't really like the, the acting of the, <laughs> in the americanized version yes yeah, it's rough. Oh my god! Also, is... they left. It, I mean, like, there's a whole like supernatural aspect. Exactly of the one in Japan that in Ringu that is not covered in the states because we are so like we're not a superstitious culture like uh, like Japanese are. So they cut that out of the stories when they do these Americanized or these Westernized versions of these movies. But that's some of the most interesting parts exactly. of some of these Japanese horror movies is giving in to, you know, the, the, the mysterious yeah. or the magical aspects sometimes. Yeah. I will always... And it's so funny that we're willing to, we're willing to watch. Okay. Probably one of, it's not a favorite, but it, okay. Do you remember the one zombie movie? It came out after like Night of the Living Dead. And it was kind of a very loose zombie movie. And it was like, there's this container of uh, waste that gets dropped. And then somebody picks it up. 
and then they pick up the someone opens up the container and there's a zombie inside of it and yeah. then like it they try and burn the body at the crematorium and then that spreads to the cemetery and then all of a sudden all the bodies climb out like that's borderline magical like we very oh my briefly god what the go, hell is that called because it's gonna make me mad because i i've seen that movie yeah, like a few times like, and I've seen like there there are different parts to it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, because I remember they cremated the body in the yeah, and it, then the the smoke spread over the area, and that made all the bodies in the cemetery c- crawl that's, out. That's the like the first move, the first zombie movie that actually had them calling out brains. Yes, brains. and they said brains. Yes, and then, it was kind of jokey, definitely like a B movie. Yeah. But it was really good. And they're like, why do you need to eat brains? Because brains help with the pain of being dead. Well, like, so, like, because you have, like, Night of the Living Dead, which is more serious. That's Romero uh, discussing, like, how humans are becoming, like, capitalist zombies and mm-hmm. yada yada through using horror. This one is just pure ridiculousness. Yeah. <laughs> I love zombie movies. But I'm like, that, the one that's more, like, even all of that, like, doesn't that have a hint of, like, a magical element to it, too? Yeah. Doesn't, don't Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers all have magical elements? So I don't understand why when we are converting, like, content from other cultures to ours we're leaving out like would you leave out a banshee from oh, a no. story from ireland oh no you know Banshees i mean we did like one, one of my favorite ghosts there's one from mexico that was just a movie la llorona mm-hmm. and so like i don't i just weird like i i feel like if we were going to talk about indigenous like there was an indigenous horror movie oh you would absolutely have to discuss the magic oh definitely of, of our, the the monsters within our culture like i don't understand why they do that to asian films specifically your guess is as good as mine sorry rant over um, <laughs> <laughs> but who's our next ghost okay next story i have next ghost um we have in line is <sighs> oiwa i think that's how you pronounce uh her name um o-i-w-a uh so this one is from the tale the ghost story of uh, yotsuya okay um yotsuya okay uh now this is based on actual events from the 17th century uh edo era oh okay so and apparently this ghost, she still haunts where nice. where she used to live. And also, so this is also, uh, this tale has also been converted into like plays and films and stuff like that. So this ghost also haunts um, people who perform her tale and <laughs> your look. <laughs> oh, I hate that. I just want to be an actress. And then she shows up at your play. Oh, I like Some, sometimes people get sick and like mysterious things happen to like cast and crew wow yeah um so in order to like appease her ghost or her spirit uh there was a shrine that was erected for her now this shrine was destroyed twice it's been twice is uh first by like the weather uh first there was a fire yeah, and the second there was a uh, the fire bombings in uh, World War Two. Oh, okay. That destroyed it, so it, oh, no. it kept getting moved different places. Um, so now there's there's a new shrine uh, put up for her. Well, she's probably not a fan of Americans then. 
I'm going to say no. <laughs> oh, goodness. Keep destroying her little cute house. But, you know, now, act, you know, wherever she was buried, um, actors and crew, they do go to her, her resting place and they, they pay their respects before okay. before they go put on a play okay. about her tale. So, hopefully, I don't get haunted today. Or, <laughs> I did my, what? I paid my respects already. Did you? I sure as hell did. Please don't curse me. <laughs> so, I'm going to start the story. <clears throat> Oiwa was married to a samurai named Ayaman. It was not a happy marriage, for Ayman was a wasteful man and a thief. One day, Oiwa decided to leave her husband and return to her family home. Ayman followed her, followed after her, but was stopped by her father. Yotsua, yo, yeah, what did I say? Yo, Yotsua? Yotsua? Yeah, Salmon. Salmon knew Ayman's misdeeds that he had stolen money from his employer and he demanded that Ayman Ayman, divorce Oiwa. Ayman threw his sword and murdered her father. Ayman returned to Oiwa and lied that a stranger had killed her father on the road. He begged her to reconcile and he promised to avenge her father's murderer. Sometime after that, Oiwa became pregnant and boy and bore Aiman a son. Times were hard. They had little money. Oiwa became sickly after giving birth. Aiman grew resentful of her. Next to their home lived a rich doctor. Ooh, I am not going to be able to pronounce his name. There was a rich doctor, though. And he had a beautiful granddaughter named Oime. Oime was instantly <laughs> was instantly attracted to Ayman and wanted to marry him. The doctor loved his granddaughter and conspired to help her marry Ayman. He prescribed an ointment for Oyawa to help her recover from her, her sickness. In reality, it was a poison which horribly disfigured her face. She didn't even want to be with him. You could have just broke up and it would have been fine. I don't think that's it's that easy in that culture at that time. Boo. Seeing Oiwa's scarred face, I'm on. Sucks. This girl's getting all. Her dad's dead. Her husband. <laughs> or her husband killed her dad. Yeah, her husband's the one who did it under false pretense so we could get her back. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is a terrible story. Nothing good comes from. No, this is a venge- she's she's a very vengeful spirit. I hope so. Um, Get back at him, honey. So Ayamun's resentment turned into hatred. Afterwards, the doctor's granddaughter, no, the doctor uh, suggested that Ayamun divorce Oyawa and marry his granddaughter instead. If you were to marry Oyame, Oyame, whatever, all of the wealth of the Ito family could be his to inherit. Ayamon was so disgusted by Oiwa's face, and Oime was so young and attractive that he agreed. 
Aima began pawning Oiwa's possessions in her kimono, her clothes. Oh, wait, I thought her face was just messed up. When did she die? Huh? She didn't die yet. Oh, okay. No, she her face is just disfigured, and he just, you know... I thought you Since, said began haunting. No, no, no. He he began. Ayman began pawning off of her off her stuff. What? So That's worse than haunting. Yeah, he, he he started selling her stuff. Um, even her son's clothes. You know, the, the child that they had together to have enough money to marry this doctor's granddaughter because he needed a legitimate reason to divorce his wife. Ayman hired his friend to um our word wow so that he could accuse her of infidelity on a prearranged night when Ayman was out of of the house his friend entered and approached Oiwa upon seeing her face he was so frightened that he abandoned his orders and his friend explained to Ayman wait his Ayman's friend explained the plan to Oiwa and then showed her a mirror. Oiwa had had not known that the ointment had like messed her face up so bad. So when she saw her reflection, she was horrified. So she tried to cover the disfigurement by brushing her hair in front of it. Um, but when she touched her hair, it fell out in large bloody clumps. It seems like this was less of a... I think they're like, oh, this ointment hurt her face. It sounds like she was being poisoned. Well, yeah, that's what it did. The ointment poisoned her, but it first started with her face. She soon went mad. She grabbed a nearby sword and punctured her own throat. As Oiwa lay on the floor bleeding to death, she repeatedly cursed Ayaman's name until she could breathe no more. Her body was soon discovered by Ayaman's servant, uh, Kohei. When Kohei delivered the news to Ayaman, instead of being upset, Ayaman was overjoyed. He was so happy. Kohei became suspicious of Ayaman, though. But before he could do anything, Ayaman murdered Kohei. So he nailed Kohei's and Iowa's bodies to a door and disposed of them in a river. This is a messed up story. I am so sorry. You see the look on your face. I am so sorry. This is a messed up story. A lot happening here. Yes. Um <clears throat> afterwards, this guy was just freaking terrible. Second story, husband's a piece of shit. Ladies don't don't get married. Um, <laughs> afterwards, he made up a lie that Kohei and Iowa had been sleeping together. He was finally free to marry Uime. Okay. So Iowa's curse did not wait long to take effect, though. On his wedding night to Uime, Ayaman had trouble sleeping. He rolled over in bed and saw, right next to his face, the horrible, disfigured face of Oiwa's the ghost. He grabbed his sword and slashed out at the ghost. Just then, the illusion ended, and Ayaman saw that it was not Oiwa he had cut, but Oime. His new bride lay dead on the floor. Terrified, Ayaman ran next door to seek his new father-in-law's help. 
However, when he got to the Ito house, he was confronted by the ghost of the mur- murdered Kohei. Once again, Aiman slashed his sword. But no sooner had he done it that the illusion ended. And he saw Ito Kihei's slain body laying on the floor. That's um, her grandfather, the doctor. Um, so afterwards, Aiman fled into the night. But Oiwa's ghost uh, pursued him, her, her spirit, her vengeful spirit. Um, everywhere he went, Oiwa's ghost was there. Her ruined face haunted his dreams. Her terrible voice cried out to him for vengeance. She even appeared to him in the paper lanterns that lit his way. Eventually, Ayman ran into the mountains where he hid in an isolated cabin. But, of course, Oiwa followed him there, too. Haunted by Oiwa's ghost, no longer able to tell nightmare from reality, Ayman descended into madness. And that is tail. A very vengeful spirit. She got... Murdered. Like, this guy, her, her husband... Just pretty much just fucked up his her life, and then I don't know what happened to her son. That'd be good to know. So yeah, he he didn't janked up her life, and then she right? she cursed him. Everything that's really upsetting. He was murdering everybody. It was really he bad. Every like that was the worst though. And then hiring someone to assault her. Yeah, like it's good the guy didn't do it, but still like. And he told her about her face. Because she had no idea about it. That means it wasn't that bad. That was like based on their like beauty standards. Well, it was jacked up. It probably wasn't painful for her, so she didn't notice it. I mean, people have mirrors, though, don't they? This is true. I mean, reflective uh, surfaces like water. Uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. That's okay. Okay. Right, who's our third story? Last but not least, we have Otsu. Uh, now, this is from the tale. Let me turn my finger. Hold on a sec. Give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. This is from the tale. Uh, the Peony Lantern. Now, this is a nice break in the ghost stories, okay? This isn't like a horrible, terrible, sad <laughs> Because tale. It's, it's not a... Ve- that was really sad. I know. I'm sorry. This is not a vengeful ghost. I was just sitting... You, y'all couldn't see. I was just sitting here with a sad face she, for a while. Yeah, it was really bad. <laughs> But it's it's a tale about it's a love it's a love story. Um, now this I trust you. <laughs> this tale was originally a Chinese uh, story, Ooh. but it was adapted to a Japanese so as well. Much over there is wished together due yeah. to colonialism and war. Yeah. So let's get to the story. Okay. Ah, uh, God damn it. I should look up his name. Anyway, long ago lived a man named. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're worse than me. I'm sorry. I just gotta let y'all know why we're struggling so much this week. Both of us are going out of town for a weekend, so we doubled up the recordings on the same day. So we had to do twice as much work in the shorter period of time. So we did not necessarily do all of the, the... checks we do. Yeah, because we were just trying to get the story ready for you. So sorry, everyone. We'll do better with names next time. Probably. Not me. Definitely not me. (laughs) (laughs) 
Anyway, there long ago lived a man named Ogiwara, mm-hmm. uh, who was uh, recently widowed. On a, on the first night of Oban, Ogiwara, Oban, widowed. He was yeah he was widowed Aww. recently widowed. Um, oh, so my. on the first night of Oban, he saw a beautiful woman and her servant walking down the street. Carrying a lantern with a, I guess the that's peony uh, motif. Um, so that woman, I immediately went, "Oh no!" <laughs> he was instantly smitten by the beautiful woman and invited her into his home. Did he respect her boundaries? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Ugh. Her name was. <laughs> Her name was Jatima Brady. Her name was Otsuya. Otsuyu. 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 Okay. Uh, that night they made love. Oh, it seems consensual. Yeah. I support it. Otsuyu stayed with Ogi Ogiwara until the moon had set and the lamplight had grown faint. Oh. When she reluctantly bid him farewell, doing that walk of shame, and left into the early morning. Sorry, <laughs> you try to be spooky, and I'm making jokes. Oh my god! To his surprise, Otsuyu and her servant returned the following evening, carrying the same lantern they did the night before. <clears throat> Is he having the ghost sex? I'm not sure. Maybe he fell deeply in love with Otsuyu. He quickly lost interest in seeing anybody but her. That's right. He no longer left his house and stopped talk, taking care of himself. Oh, that's not good. No, no, no. That's like that. That's like the opposite of what you want to do when you like somebody. But anyway, night after night, Otsuyu, he she visited him, and each night they made love, and each night she left before dawn. That was fun, but it sounds like he's literally banging a ghost. <laughs> 20 days passed. He's not tired of <laughs> No. All right. Ogi. Ogi. Ahead, Ogiwara. <laughs> Ogiwara. <laughs> his, his neighbors began to grow concerned for him. Next door to to him lived a wise old, old man. One night, the old man heard laughing and singing coming from next door. He peeked through the hole in Ogiwara's wall. However, instead of a beautiful woman... He saw he saw Ogiwara intertwined entwined entwined not intertwined entwined in the bony arms of a skeleton. Cool. When Ogiwara spoke, the skeleton nodded its head and moved its arms and legs. When the skeleton draw when the skeleton's jaw opened, a haunting voice came from where its mouth should have been. The old man was horrified. As soon as day came, the old man called for Ogiwara. He warned Ogiwara that Otsuyu was really a ghost and told him to go to a temple at once. Ogiwara heeded the old man's advice. At the temple, he discovered that he discovered Otsuyu's uh, grave oh. with her old and tattered peony lantern draped across it. The priest warned Ogiwara that he must resist Otsuyu 
and gave him a magical charm to place on his house. Okay, okay. Which would keep him safe from the ghost. Ogiwara rushed home at once and placed the charm on his door. The charm worked perfectly, and Otsuyu never came to visit Ogiwara again. Okay, okay, we doing good. Although he was safe, he became despondent. He missed Osuyu dearly. One night, days after her last visit, Ogiwara became drunk. He carelessly wandered to the temple where he discovered Otsuyu's grave. At the temple gate, Otsuyu appeared to him and led him to her home, her coffin. Later, when Ogiwara had been missing for some time, the priest opened Otsuyu's grave. Inside was the dead body of Ogiwara, wrapped up in the bony arms of a human skeleton. Dang. Oh, poor Ogiwara. He was having a good time. He was having a lovely time. He fell in love with the ghost. There's a... There's a what? Okay, so this is really funny, and I don't mean to, like, inadvertently, like, name drop somebody, but there's uh, literally somebody who I became Facebook friends with years ago. Uh, maybe it was right before COVID. Mm. And um, he's, I think, from Chicago, and he has a song called Fell in Love with a Ghost. Oh, my God. Um, it's more about, like, his mental health during COVID. Okay. But um, it just, that's so funny that you said it that way, because I, like... Uh, the, the, the his band name is Boys versus Girls. But it's a good song. <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. I mean, it sounds like a good song. Yeah, I like the I, title. Like, I'll play it for you later. But yeah, like I, uh, you said he fell in love with the ghost, and I was like, I know that song. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm gonna tell him I talked about his song. <laughs> but yeah, um, he got he fell in love with her, and he could not live without her. So he went and well, he didn't mean that though. He like got a little drunky drunk. Okay, he probably didn't mean to do it, but he did it anyway. True, true. But yeah, those are my the three big ghost stories. That's what they're called. Those three, the the three big ghost stories, the Japan's three big ghost stories. Look them up. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, two of them are horrible in terms of what happened to the victim. Yeah, they're really bad. But the last one was uh, the first one though. I'm gonna torture you. Until you date me? Basically. Not even like, I'm going to torture you to be my wife. I'm going to torture you so you can be my concubine. He did say mistress, yes. Bruh. <laughs> no thanks. Oh my goodness. But I think this was in the, like an you know, eventful 25th episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 25 more, hopefully very soon. Yes. Definitely. Thanks uh, to everybody listening as usual. Love you so much. Yes. You can always join me on at caught podcast on tiktok where i post mostly every day unless tiktok takes down one of my videos for something bogus <laughs> and you can find me on twitch at uh foxy trainer and it's every sunday night at 6 p.m i do streaming with Brittany, and we're well i haven't done it this we're week yeah we're doing doki doki still I'm, I'm i'm just gonna go in and try to find some of the the new stuff new stuff and then I'll play the game if I feel like it later. Because I already know what's happening. And I'll try a different route. Well, let's go with the first major plot point on the next one. Yeah. And we'll see. By I the got... time you all hear this, we will have 
gone over the first major plot point. <laughs> this is true. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah. Like um, I said, uh, whenkillersgetcaught.com is our official website. There's merch up there now. There is links to everything that you could actually pos- possibly want to involve yourself with us. Yes, yes. So yeah. make sure you leave. Uh, oh, We haven't said this in a while, but uh, it's always good to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can even leave reviews on the website. Yeah, that too. You can. You can leave little comments in each of the episodes. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, there you go. Yep. But thanks so much, everybody. Yep. Have a good night. Good night.